Sales and marketing is what drives your, your business. It's what drives your top line. You can be the greatest operator in the world, but if you don't have a coherent vision of how you're going to sell and market, it doesn't matter, right? It's irrelevant. The internet has made it easier than ever to start a business. Succeeding on the internet, now that's another story. The big question is, what are those who are succeeding doing differently? This podcast has the answers. Hi, my name is Lisanne Murphy. I've spent the last three years running a successful advertising agency. I noticed with certain clients, I ran into the same problem over and over again. Their offering was just not grabbing the prospect's heart and wrestling them into purchasing submission. Why? Many of these business owners were so far down the road in their journey and so in love with their product, they forgot who they were serving, missing some essential steps along the way. So I'm pivoting focus. Join me as I go behind the scenes with the most brilliant entrepreneur minds to demystify the nitty gritty marketing hacks needed to be successful before spending thousands on advertising that ultimately separate the internet legends from the dreamers. Welcome to the Marketing Matrix Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in today to hear from Henry Doss. He's going to share some great strategies for standing out in your market by building trust. Welcome to the Marketing Matrix Podcast. I'm your host, Lisanne Murphy, and I am joined today by the incredible and talented and incredibly interesting Mr. Henry Doss. Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to be oh. here. Guys, we are so excited to dive into this incredible entrepreneur's story, and I want to take a second to introduce him before he just blows our minds, because he has lots of value to share, tons of experience to draw upon. I'm just really excited to dive into the, to the nitty-gritty of everything that Henry is doing. So, Henry Doss is a serial entrepreneur, business, and finance coach, screenwriter, avid traveler, with a caveat, not at this moment, but he still, he, he travels in his sleep probably mm -hmm. golfer and tennis player. He also actively trades the, the financial markets and manages a few select people's money. He resides for the time being in New Jersey. So I'm excited to hear that New Jersey accent coming out for you and has been married for almost 30 years to the same woman guys and has three mostly adult kids. So I'm excited to hear if that's based on age or maturity. We're not sure. We're going to find out here on The Marketing Matrix. Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's a joy to be here. So for those of our listeners that aren't as familiar with you in your journey, tell us, like, how did you, how did you get to this place of being a, an, a coach for entrepreneurs? I mean, you've, you've had to like be, been around the block a few times to have the experience and confidence to be able to do that. I've been around the block, uh, you know, a couple, two, three times, as we say here in Jersey. I don't have a Jersey accent, uh, <laughs> at least as far as I know. Um, but yeah, it's been a really interesting, um, God, it's got to be 40 years now. So. Um, so I started as an entrepreneur in 91. So it's almost, you know, 29, almost 30 years ago. Um, uh, it was what I refer to as an accidental business or uh, more politically correctly and opportunistic. I had a college friend said, hey, I was having, just having trouble sourcing some computers. I said, hey, let me take a crack at that. 
I did. He fed me business. 18 months later, I quit my job working for a subsidiary of the New York Stock Exchange as a programmer. And that's where it started. And oh, my goodness. Yeah. oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. story. So how did it evolve from there? So you went from sourcing sourcing computer was it was it sourcing computers or software a, or? i started as a actually an apple valuated reseller so back in the day they were actually called apple computer not not apple inc um and that was way before there were apple stores or any of that stuff you know this is um it's kind of ancient history it's when you bought computers at resellers uh, the internet uh, wasn't even 91. The internet really wasn't even in its infancy. It was a, still a couple of years away. And even then it was slow and cumbersome. So if you were a Fortune 500 company and you needed to source some Macs, mostly for the art department, you had to go to somebody, right? You go to Computer World or Computer Era in New York City. So we played that role. We were the value-added reseller. So people would say, what's your value-add? I said, it's me you want to buy your stuff from me. We're better. We're going to give you better customer service. Uh, we're not really selling on price because at that point, the margins were very, very thin, just like they're thin today. Uh, that was our differentiator. That was our secret sauce, right? It was the Henry show. Uh, I love it. Yeah. And we grew that to a $4 million business back in the 1990s. So. Wow. Me and my so, so I'm sure that, I mean, when you say like an 18, like I, I, 18 months later, I never looked back. Like, uh, it's easy to look back in the lens and see it 2020, but in the moment, like, was there a moment where you were like, man, this entrepreneurial thing, this is a little tougher than I anticipated. I don't know about this. Like I, I maybe I should go back to, to the nine to five. Like, yeah, that'd be uh, what I would refer to as the oh shit moment. Um, pardon the profanity, but it is <laughs> what it is. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to have those. I'm sure your listeners are out there nodding their heads. Like, what did I get myself into? I had this nice, cushy corporate job. They, they paid me. I got a W-2. I went on vacation and I never had to call the office or talk to a client or do anything, right? You don't realize how that is until you take it away. But for me, it, it, was, it was preordained. I grew up with business owners and, and doctors and lawyers. Uh, what I saw were people who work for themselves. And it was, it was um, sort of driven into me at an early age that if you, if you want to make real money, uh, work for yourself. Mm. Right? That's what you do. Yeah. So, and let's, and let's talk about, um, I want to dive a little bit into like how you yourself were the differentiator when like price wasn't necessarily a, a competitive advantage that you could, that you could pull. What was it like, was, was it, those personal connections that you had with, with people? Yeah. Like, like what, what was it exactly? If you could pinpoint it and see how you were unique, what, what was it about the Henry Doss show? All about, well, my partner, Ray, right? He was bringing a lot of these, low, what I would call low-hanging fruit clients. So it wasn't all me. In, in fact, we would refer to ourselves as I was Mr. Inside, he was Mr. Outside, right? So he would open up his Rolodex, go out to all of these people. He would bring them in the door. So it's like the difference between, you know, sales and marketing. So marketing is the generation of warm leads and sales is closing those leads. So he was really good at bringing all those people, all those warm leads in the door. 
but ultimately I or 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 the two of us together would have to close those deals, right? So we mm -hmm. had a really, really nice pipeline um, because the first barrier in the selling process really is trust. Like, hey, I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. And that's what most people are doing now. Now remember, there's a, ver there's, a, there's a vast difference between the internet world now from a marketing perspective and what it was back then. You could build a business organically just by word of mouth. It's a bit harder to do that today uh, things are disjointed, people are disconnected, you're running remote teams, um, I'm, and I'm putting aside the pandemic where face-to-face -face is almost off the table at this stage of the game, but if we assume for now that face-to-face -face was still on the table, people are too busy, right? They're distracted, their attention span has been probably quartered over the last 30 years. Um, that's tougher. But that's how we did it from the get-go, and all of my subsequent businesses built on that Rolodex that I built early on. Yeah. I, so I, I love that you brought up trust because, um, so I, I run a Facebook advertising agency mm -hmm. and um, one of the complications of the digital world is that it has taken some of like the human art out of, of, of trust. And like people like forget the importance of that. One of the things that I talk about often with my clients is the importance of thinking of your business still like it's a brick and mortar business. And you're going to do much better if you think of like the relationships you need to build with customers, the positioning in the market that you need to do. If you think about it like a, like a brick and mortar business, how, how do you see um, people doing well and missing the mark when it comes to building trust in today's online world compared to your past experience? Uh, that's a great question. So, um, so I market myself through LinkedIn. I'm a business coach. So, um, you know, I use their sales navigator and I do this stuff, but I also receive a lot of stuff from the outside world. And what I notice is, um, you know, someone will send a connection request and then it's almost like they count to a hundred and then they pitch me on something, right? <laughs> and I'm saying, how can that possibly work? In fact, I've actually gone so far as to correct a few people and say, hey, this is not really how it should be done, right? Think about it like dating, right? You're, you know, you meet, you have coffee, and then what? Let's go back to my place. I mean, that's kind of how it feels with the marketing. And it's, it, that just doesn't work, right? It's even more than trust. You have to have a little familiarity. You have to, you know, people have to feel like, having you as part of their world enhances value, right? You're bringing mm -hmm. value to the table. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough. The internet is like seven and a half billion people screaming, look at me, look at me, look at me all at the same time, right? Very different than what it was, uh, especially in New York City where it's a city of 8 million people, but it was almost like everybody kind of knew everybody. I know that sounds very strange, but... Um, you know, people ran in similar types of circles and it was very, very common to do business with people that you were familiar with. Mm. Well, now it's tough to build that familiarity from arm's length, from a Zoom call or just through a social platform like, like um, Facebook or LinkedIn or anything else. It's, it's a challenge. So have you found some ways, like building on your past experience that you found to be successful? 
Um, so I'd look at it kind of like a hybrid, meaning I, I still leverage my personal relationships. I leverage my client relationships to, to bring in more business. And then I like to put a lot of uh, value out into the world. So I blog and I write business articles and I do all sorts of stuff. Um, and actually, it, you know, I, I, if I have an Achilles heel, it may be that I don't um, have that uh, call to action or I'm not maybe pushy enough on the sale. So you do have to find that, that sweet spot. So if you think about it from a perspective of a funnel, and I'm going to assume that your audience knows what a funnel is, mm -hmm. right? There are steps. So using the LinkedIn as a model, you connect and then you offer a piece of value. And then maybe you offer a couple more pieces of value and you try to engage them in some sort of a dialogue before you then open your kimono and said, hey, you know what, why don't we, why don't we talk? Or you know, back in the day when you could actually have coffee with, if someone was local, um, and you build towards that, as opposed to just taking that, that shotgun approach, which is connect, pitch them. If I never hear back from them, move to the next one. Mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of brute force marketing approach. And you know what? So, uh, you know, sad as it is to say, some brute force marketing approaches actually work because the world is a big place. You know, mm -hmm. It will take you an entire lifetime to alienate the entire planet, right? Before everybody, you know, <laughs> don't do business with this guy. You know, uh, he's a, he's a shark, right? Yeah. Take a long time. So. Yeah, no, for sure. So in, so in your marketing, like with, with this nurture value-based first approach, which I love by the way, um, do you have a, like a really firm idea of like, once I have, four touches with somebody. I know I can get them into a conversation. Once a conversation happens, it normally takes one or two conversations before I close someone. So I know like from the time someone sees my stuff to becoming a, a client, it's, it's like you understand like the, the numbers in that process. Or like, yeah, have you made that, it that what scientific? What you said is about right, right? It'll take four times, right? Uh, introduction, value, value, then a soft kind of a, hey, you know, would you like to get on a strategy session? Um, and then one or two strategy sessions. Uh, the chances of booking someone on the first strategy session, um, I have the metric somewhere, but it's about 50-50. And then if you get someone to the second strategy session, and I always encourage people to do that, uh, you know, not in a rush, you got to feel comfortable. Um, on the second uh, strategy session, it's about an 85% hit rate, mm. right? Yeah. Um, that's kind of how it works. Uh, you know, I treat sales the same way that the, that the police treat missing persons. You've got 48 hours to find that missing person. And then the possibility just falls off a cliff. Mm. And it's the same way with sales. Right. I'm going to be, if I have a strategy with session, session with someone for half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, I might be in their brain if I'm lucky for 48 hours. If they don't book a second call, uh, and usually I try to do it on the first call, but sometimes people will say, oh, let me think about it. If they don't book within 48 hours, there's a maybe 10% chance that they will. It goes from maybe 90% in the first day to 80 to 75. And then it goes to like 10, five, zero. Interesting. Yeah. So, and do you, do you push for that second booking? 
Like, are you like uh, on I the first always, call? Yeah, at the end of the first call, if it went well, if I think that there's a possibility and we're, we're simpatico, um, yeah, I will always say, you know, why don't we book it now? Or if I, you know, back in the day when we could actually go out and, and go to conferences and I go to lots of conferences, um, if I had a conversation and I thought it was meaningful, I would try to book that session right then and there. Mm -hmm. Strike while the iron is hot is basically what that is. And if yeah. people give you a lot of pushback and such and such, my estimation of, you know, the, the temperature, are they a hot lead? Are they a warm lead? Are they a cold lead? And I always, I've always done that over 30 years. If I have leads, I, I always assign, you know, sort of a heat map to them, right? And I nurture the ones that are hot and warm and the ones that are cold will eventually just disappear. They freeze and they, and they die. Right. Don't waste your time chasing cold leads. I know people who will do it. They'll put a funnel together. They'll send them something once a quarter, once a month or whatever. It's like, why? Mm. Right. right. Those they're, they're dead leads. There's, there's better ones out there. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you classify your leads? Like what makes someone a hot lead versus a warm lead? Well, they've got to fit the, the, the profile of my, of my ideal sales avatar. Right. So my clients are, probably 32 to 48. They run uh, mostly million dollar plus businesses, but there's only about 4% of the 30 million businesses in the United States actually ever have a year that they eclipse a million dollars. It's kind of a, kind of a high bar, but I charge real money for, for my, for my uh, services. So I have to know that they can pay me. I don't, I'm, I shouldn't say I don't. I'm reticent to deal with someone who I believe is going to live in scarcity month after month after month, worry about paying, you know, my fee. I don't want that at the outset, right? I mm -hmm. think that colors the relationship because their expectations are like, there's going to be, I'm going to give them some miracle elixir uh, and turn their business around because people are coming to me, not because their business is great, Right. Like I, like I've often said that, you know, this is the phone call I've never gotten. Hey, Henry, my business is kicking ass. It's great. Everything's fantastic. All we do is sit around and sing Kumbaya, but I think I need a coach. Right. When I get that phone call, I'll retire. It's always <laughs> driven by pain. It's the same reason most people, I, again, I'm the exception with this because I go to the doctor proactively because uh, I'm a type two diabetic and, and I need to. Um, and I do it religiously, but most people only go when something hurts, right? Why do they go to the doctor? Something hurts. And they're mm -hmm. looking for some relief from that pain. Well, coaching is not a pain relief occupation. We're in the business, of, and that's part of it. Part of it is solving the problem of the week, but the other part of it is really leveling up. And it's the same thing with your marketing, your product out there to the world right? What is the problem that you as, as the entrepreneur are solving for other people that they need you? Mm. Right? What is the, how can you distill that concisely? Right? Now I'm assuming you're not a commodity business because if you're in the commodities business, well, then it becomes price. And it's, in most cases, it's a race to the bottom because all the margin goes out of the business and only the very, very biggest players can live in a world where there's no, you know, no margin left, right? Now you're a supermarket working on 2% margin. Right. But everybody has to eat, so you just make it up on volume. Right. That's tough for a solopreneur to do. Right. 
So what, what is the main problem that you solve for your clients? Um, one of the overarching problems is, I guess, put succinctly, they don't know what they don't know, right? One of the um, dirty little secrets of the coaching business is that there are almost no barriers to entry. Anybody who wants to be a coach, tomorrow, you could hang up a shingle. All you need is client zero. Yeah, I'm a coach. I'm a life coach. I'm a tennis coach. I'm a golf coach. I'm a SAT coach. Anything under the, anything under the sun, you can set up. Uh, you know, uh, you get a logo, put up a website, you're now a coach. All you got to do is get clients and you're a coach, mm -hmm. right? The difference, I've been an entrepreneur. I've run six, seven, eight businesses, right? I've walked in your shoes. Many coaches, the only business they've ever run is a coaching business. It's not a lot of help for somebody who's an FBA reseller or an affiliate guy or such and such because they don't have any experience in actually being down in the trenches running the day-to-day -day operations of a business. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I, so what I'm hearing from you, so I, I have this, I, I believe this philosophy that we, um, we sell people on what they want, but we give them what they need. Right. And like your, your statement of like, we, they don't know what they don't know is essentially like, let me just get them in the door and then I'm going to blow their mind and help them realize what they actually need to know. Uh, because that's what's going to make the biggest difference in their life and in their business. But what is, what is, the, what is the, the hook that you use to get people in the door? Because, I mean, I would imagine you can't market and say, like, come to me. I'll teach you what you don't know. Well, teaching is part of it. Um, I guess the way that I differentiate myself, I call myself a coach approach strategic advisor. So I did a year of coaching with Coachville before I even started this. And the idea was I want to learn best practices. I want to learn the Marquise of Queensbury rules of being a coach. And so I did all their courses, world power, communication, blah, blah, blah. And did and got a bunch of uh, pro bono clients to test the coaching philosophy and all this stuff. And then when it was all said and done, I realized, well, this is great, but this is only half the solution, right? Because what the coaching didn't allow me to do was to use all of my entrepreneurial experience, right? I mean, sometimes I just have the answer because I've done it. So am I going to put you through a bunch of silly, torturous games in order for you to come to the realization that this is the answer? Or am I just going to help you solve the problem immediately because I have the answer for you, mm. right? So that's why I created this imprimatur I call the coach approach strategic advisor. So sort of half a coach, half an advisor. But when, when we start... The idea is, hey, I'm not selling you a system um, because for one out of 10 people, a system may blow the doors off because their brain works the same way as the system. But for the other nine people, it's like, I can't adapt to that system. I didn't become an entrepreneur because I wanted to run a system. In fact, I became an entrepreneur because I didn't want to be in cubicle world running somebody else's system. So what I do is I got to get into your head and figure out what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what you're really good at, stuff that you hate to do. Are you good at managing? Are you good at delegating? Are you the proverbial doer? Or are you the person who really wants to work, taking a page out of the Michael Gerber e-myth, you want to work on your business, not in your business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimate goal is to obsolete yourself as being of any value to your business whatsoever, whatsoever, other than being the visionary, 
right? Play that role, mm -hmm. right? The litmus test. You can go on vacation for two months, come back. Your business hasn't missed a beat. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But the funny thing is people give you pushback on that. Well, Henry, this is what I do. I don't want that. It's like, you sure? Because how are you going to scale your business if your business is so dependent on you being there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reading, right now I'm reading uh, the book called Built to Sell by John Warlow. I don't know if you've ever read that I, book. I know what it. the book is, but it's, it, and it's, I probably own a copy of it, but, <laughs> but I just don't have the bandwidth to, to read a lot of books these days, but go yeah. on. No, that's okay. But he talks about in, in that book that like the, you, you should build your business as if you would sell it, even if you choose not to, because people only buy businesses where all of the brain equity is not tied up in the business owner. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I talk to people about their exit strategy. I mean, what is it? Like I, people pitched ideas to me and I say, what's your exit strategy? He's like, Henry, I haven't even started this business. It's just an idea. I said, yeah, but the decisions that you make, should this thing ever come to fruition, will be colored by what it is you want to do. Do you want to hand it down to your kids? Do you want to sell it for a whole pile of cheddar? Do you want to run it till you die and then let your, let your heirs take care of it, right? Because there, do you want to be, uh, you want to do a, an IPO and make a boatload of money and be the next Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, the trajectories can vary dramatically depending on where it is you're trying to go. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. That's so smart. I love that. Um, okay. So, and, and what, what are the, the most successful ways that you're marketing your business currently? And what are some um, ways where you wish they would work better? Um, so the successful ways that I do it is by, you know, certain networks that I'm plugged into different different groups of people. I belong to a group that's called the Dynamite Circle, which is for all digital nomads and location independent businesses. Um, so I've had a lot, of, a lot of clients have come through um, that organization. Um, it's, it's evolved a little bit because I like the people there so much, it's become more of a social thing. And, and now I'm almost at the point where I don't wanna say I don't wanna take them on as clients, um, but it has to be the right fit. Right, I'm not shooting with a, with a shotgun. So that's that and other groups. I was a member of EO for many, many years. I'm not a member of EO anymore, if, you're, if your audience is familiar with Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, so those kind of groups of like-minded uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, those, are, those I've had great success with. Um, networking groups, the BNIs of the world, the LATIPs, not so much. For, for my business. Mm -hmm. um, my ideal client is not there in those areas. They just, I've just never been able to, to crack the code on that. Um, and in the online world, I use LinkedIn. I don't really use Facebook for much of anything. Um, I probably should uh, figure out how to, how to integrate that. But I drew a, a Chinese wall between the two um, many, many years ago. In fact, I limit myself to 100 Facebook friends. So, so if you were to Facebook me, I would have to, uh, you know, send me a connection request. I would have to deem you greater than somebody in my core 100. Uh, and then I, if I added you, I would have to remove somebody. <laughs> I call it Facebook Hunger Games. Uh, I want to have like the strongest, best 
hundred people in my, in my Facebook group. And I can say, I don't have Facebook friends because every single person there, I know. I know them mm -hmm. all personally. Yeah. Uh, but some of them might be high school friends. So they're the ones that get kicked out when, when some newbie comes along. Uh, <laughs> but, with, but with something like LinkedIn, I'll, I'll accept anybody's <laughs> request on LinkedIn. You send me a request, I will accept it. No problem. That's, that's fascinating. And you're going to pitch me five minutes later because that's what happens. Yeah, 100, 100 seconds later, right? <laughs> I love it. Okay, so what is, um, when you talk about uh, helping people understand what they don't know and coming up with their exit strategy and making sure that the strategy is tight in their business, what is the most common missed piece that you notice across your clients for how to strategize or structure how they think about their business or whatever. Like what's the most common You just You just piece? said it, strategize, right? Right, I, I, I'm a coach approach, strategic coach, right? There's the strategic and there's the tactical, right? So what happens is people spend their life on tactics, looking for the new cool SEO tool, right? Looking for the, the new, flavor of the month for building your, your email funnel, right? Um, all of that kind of whack-a-mole thing where let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Instead of taking a step back and saying, let's build a strategy. It's not chiseled in granite, but you need to have a plan of some sort, the, the P word, the dreaded P word. I was talking to somebody last night on a, on a podcast uh, pre-interview. And I was saying, look, um, they just, people just wanna fly the plane. Flying the plane is fun. It really is. You're up there in the sky and you're zipping along. You don't really know where you're going because you never filed a, a flight plan, right? Who wants to do all that work? I don't wanna be here on the ground doing all this work. That's not fun. I wanna fly the plane, right? So that's a tough sell. But even, even as a coach, it's a tough sell to tell people that, look, we got to build a strategy here. Mm -hmm. we, don't know, we have no idea where we're going. We're trying to, we're, you want to just, you just want to go down every blind alley to figure out what you're marketing and your sales and marketing. Because let's face it, sales and marketing is what drives your, your business. It's what drives your top line. You could be the greatest operator in the world, but if you don't have a coherent vision of how you're going to sell and market, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right? It's irrelevant. I love it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And so true. I've kind of been going through some of my own growing pains in my business in the last couple of weeks where I've, I've realized that I've Oh, this is going to turn to a free coaching session. Uh oh, I can feel it. No, 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 <laughs> I, not no, at I'm all. I'm joking. Not at all. Um, just, just a realization. The realization that I had this week is that I had gotten caught up in the tactics of my business. And I was like almost expecting the universe to run my business, be the business owner for me. Okay. And just had some like had to take some real like hard looks in terms of like, where am I going? And no one's going to, no one's going to steer the ship, but me. And, and it'll just, it'll go somewhere whether I try or not. So I might as well put some energy and effort into it. And I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks strategizing and running numbers and really figuring out where I need to be spending my time and what systems need to be in place to get myself out of certain things. And uh, it's been, it's been a, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for me in that regard. So that's interesting. You touched on another great point, which is finance, right? Um, I've seen way too many people, especially the solopreneur who run their business out of their bank balance. 
right? They wouldn't know a payable or a receivable if it bit them on the tush, mm -hmm. right? You need to know balance sheet, income statement, cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that you need to know. I did a talk and I said, you need to know these backwards and forwards. And one of the guys in the group, this guy named Greg, who I know, challenged me on that. Really, do I have to know them, know them backwards and forwards? And I said, yes, you need to know them backwards and forwards. You can't get lazy until you've built a system, right? I've been trading and doing that stuff for 40 years. I wrote this book about you know how to manage your money and grow your money and stuff. And in it, I actually said, that this is what you have to do, but this is what I do. And what I do is a little bit different because I can take shortcuts, right? Literally came right out and said, I can, because I got 40 years of experience. Mm -hmm. But if you're just getting started in a business, like I said, I've had five, six, seven, eight businesses or whatever. When you are first starting out, you need to be really diligent and really learn this stuff. If you wanna get lazy and you wanna cut corners later on, who am I to judge? Hopefully you're so successful that it doesn't really matter. But you are never going to get there if you think that you can just manage this stuff by the seat of your pants from day one. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You'll never get to day two. I love it. Oh, this is so good. It's so, so much gold. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our time today. And I always love to end, I always love to end with, with this question. And it is, what has been the biggest internal transformation that has occurred for you in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, I guess I would say just the wisdom that comes with experience, right? Things that I would do when I was first starting out, I would never think about doing now right? Brute forcing my way through things. You know, you start like a bull in a china shop and then you learn what I can only call finesse, right? I've seen this before. I've seen bankruptcies. I've seen this. I've seen that. The game slows down, right? I use the football analogy sometimes. You're a rookie quarterback as an entrepreneur. 300 pound men are trying to tear your head off. In the meantime, you're trying to get a guy who's running a 4-3-40 running across the middle and hit him with this football that you're throwing at 60 miles an hour. Just think about what a Herculean task that is, right? Your brain is gonna fall out of your head because there's so much stuff going on, right? And as you accumulate the wisdom of an entrepreneur, that game slows down. Mm. It gets to the point where it, nothing's changed, but you see it in slow motion, right? That is really, when you know that you're starting to master the craft of being an entrepreneur, when it, it feels like things are slowing down. Because mm -hmm. it's crazy at the get-go. It's just yeah. crazy. Your chief cook and bottle washer, crazy, crazy, crazy. But if you stick with it and you resist the temptation, kind of where we started the conversation, to say, I'm done with this. This, mm -hmm. is, not, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. And it's easy. So my good. dad in 1960 with my uncle Murray founded an engineering company. The first year they lost $15,000, which at that time was a year's salary. And he went and got a job and never tried again. Mm. Right. That's not an uncommon story. 
right. or what are called entrepreneurs, right? They want to be an entrepreneur. They, they're like a child with their nose pressed against the glass. And then they, they fall splat right on their face. The question is, you're going to get up and keep going. What small marketing strategy or tactic has made the biggest difference in your business and why? Um, okay, so I have a client who uses this term, which I love. Uh, she calls it massive imperfect action, right? So think about those three words. So massive, what does that mean? That doesn't mean papering the earth with your business card, but thinking about it strategically, what, where are the areas that I can attack from a marketing standpoint? If you've ever seen a marketing pie, or if you haven't, just Google marketing pie, right? Because it's right out there in the world for you to see. It's a nice little pie-shaped graph, and it'll show you all the slivers of different things that you can do. And then ask yourself, am I doing these? And am I doing them in a massive way that works for my business? Second part, imperfect. Perfect is, is um, the enemy of entrepreneurship, right? I think it was Reid Hoffman who said, uh, if your first version of your, of your website or your SaaS product doesn't suck, then you launch too late, right? So get out of the business of, of polishing stuff to a bright shine. Got to get stuff out there in the world. The market will give you the feedback that you need to make it better. And the last part, action, right? Got to take action. If you're sitting by the phone waiting for it to ring because you put a website up, that advertises some product. Well, good luck with that strategy. Mm. That's it. That's what I got. I love it. I love it. I, you know, it's, 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 I love, I had this experience in my garden just yesterday that I've been thinking a lot about. So I have this automated uh, sprinkler system set up mm. in the beds in my garden. And yesterday I was out working in my garden when the sprinklers were on. Normally I'm not out there when the sprinklers were on, but I was out there when the sprinklers were on and I noticed that one of the sprinkler heads was facing the opposite direction of the bed. So it was watering my mulch outside of the bed. <laughs> okay. And, and I was like, okay, so we, I took the massive imperfect action of setting up the, the thing, but one of the heads was faced in the opposite direction. But unless I had, unless I'd been there, when the action was taking place, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have seen that the head was facing in the wrong direction. So it was very, very simple tweak, right? I just literally just turned the head around sure. and it, to water the garden. But it, it, it was kind of like this, this physical representation of what you're just talking about in terms of like, you take the action, you observe the action, you let the market tell you what's going on, and then you make adjustments from there. Yeah, don't water the mulch. Right? Don't go spend a lot of money on Facebook ads if that's not where your ideal sales avatar is. Just because all the cool kids are spending lots of money on Facebook ads and because of the pandemic, Facebook ads are cheap. <laughs> totally. Right? Totally. I love that. Okay. So what, what is, um, I, I, I would love to dive just a tiny bit into this. Um, you know, if, if your product is too polished, you've, you've launched too late. Mm -hmm. What, how do you help your uh, the people that you coach get over that internal desire to make things better than they need to. Like, how do you know you actually have your minimum viable product ready to go? Um, well, again, I, the world will give you feedback on that. I mean, the MVP is a very, very, you know, interesting concept, 
right? Because it can take a million different forms. Um, figuring that out is going to be an iterative process, but minimum means minimum, right? It means minimum. So here's the worry that people have. Okay, Henry, I, I made it minimum, but it really, really sucks. And anybody who comes in is going to churn out of it. I actually have a, a new client. We're in that same sort of situation. And it's like, don't worry about that. Those are your, your space monkeys, right? Right? Don't worry about it. We're just going to, we're going to use dogs and monkeys and animals like they did in the space program. And I love them. I'm not saying they were sacrificed. They all came back to earth, happy and healthy. But before we start experimenting on humans, we're going to use a different kind of carbon-based life form. And it's the same thing, right? If you churn through a whole bunch of, of early people, they came in, they hated what they saw and they left. That's kind of normal, right? It's are. I mean, it's just how it's going to work. But what you have to do is get feedback from them as to why they churned out. It's astonishing for me sometimes how people don't want to engage with folks who are unhappy about their product. It's like, these people hold the keys to your success. Happy people are going to tell you everything was great and it was wonderful and it was beautiful. That doesn't help me. What helps me is you came in, what attracted you to come in and what made you leave? Mm -hmm. Right. Find out there's gold in there. Find out what that is. I had somebody who was a, a salesman uh, years ago that I was talking to who said every time they have a, uh, a failed sales interaction, they ask that person for three referrals. I said, really? That's interesting. He goes, and you know why? It's because they feel bad about the fact that our interaction had failed. And they actually kind of want to do something nice for me to assuage their, their feelings that things didn't go well. He goes, it was an amazing strategy, right? And I ask him specific numbers, and I always use the number three. Three is my favorite number. Always ask for three. Three. Give me three. Because if you ask for three, they may give you one. One is good enough. Maybe they'll give you two. They're never going to give you three. Right? <laughs> but if you ask for one, they'll give you zero. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, I, I love I love that. Um, you know, we talked in our in our long session about how the social media marketing currently is a bit impersonal. But one of the things that I work with on my clients constantly is to understand how to improve their ads is to contact people that have shared or commented on their post and ask mm -hmm. them, like, what did you like about it? Why didn't you click through or why did you click through or, or what what else are you, were you looking for when you clicked on this ad? Um, or even like when they get the email address on, in the funnel on the back end, like, why did you purchase? Why didn't you purchase? And like clients are always shocked. They're like, what? You want me to reach out to them and talk to them? And I'm like, yeah. yes, I do. Like, that's the only way that we're going to be able to improve this system and, and, and make it work for you even better. Uh, so that is such a powerful, powerful, uh, so many little nuggets right there. Taking one, that massive one, one last one. If we have yeah, time. let's do it. Let's do this it. Is, this is what I call Henry's theory. I have a ton. I have... One day I'm gonna write a book about all my personal theories. So this is one of my personal theories and it will save a lot of people a lot of heartache. Uh, so you ready for this one? This is a good one. So this right. is Henry's theory of helpfulness. So there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that are helpful and there's everyone else. So what defines a helpful person? Two things, they are always helpful and they never expect anything in return. 
So think about that, right? Think about how many people that you might know in your life who fit that. I fit that, you know, maybe a little too well because I should probably get better at asking people for something in return, but I don't. I'm, I've easily given away a million dollars of my talent over the years for free and I would happily do it, right? Those people, those people are out there who may potentially be your clients uh, or, or soon to be ex-clients if they're not happy with what it is. When you find one of those people, cultivate those people because they will give you the information that you need readily without any stress or anything. Understand, if someone's not in that helpfulness silo, no matter how closely related they may be to you, they lack the gene. It's a fool's errand to try to get them to help you. And you've probably all experienced that, right? And yeah. there's a study that was done years ago that I read where they had people list 100 people that they knew from the most familiar to the least acquainted with, and they set them about a task, and they went through the whole list. And they discovered that people who were in the top 10 for familiarity, you had a 5 in 10 chance of them helping you. And the people in the bottom 10, you had a 5 in 10 chance of people helping you. There was no correlation between your relationship to someone and whether they're going to help you. Mm, that, that is fascinating. will save you a massive amount of heartache. How many times has somebody said, hey, I asked my best friend to help me out with this stuff and, and he, he, you know, he ghosted me. Well, maybe he's not a helpful person, not his fault. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. So brilliant. So brilliant. Well, Henry, it has been an absolute pleasure and joy having you on the Marketing Matrix today. Um, guys, you can... You can follow Henry on LinkedIn. You can also go to his, he has a couple websites. He has dasknowledge.com, D-A-A-S, knowledge.com and henrydas.com. For you guys to follow, we're going to put those links in the listen notes. You can get access to his resources, his books, his materials, his, his fun screenwriting uh, <laughs> plays, which I'm, I'm going to go and check out like right after this. I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Read, read the one that's called, the, if, if you go to five star, you can actually read the entire script. So I, I love put it. That on there. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, again, this is Henry Doss from New Jersey. We're grateful to have him on the Marketing Matrix. Henry, thank you so much for coming and bringing it hot today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope Henry's experience and knowledge has given you new insights into your own business. Tune in next week for our first episode of the year. We will be looking back at our first 100 episodes and breaking down some exciting things on the horizon in the new year. There's a quick and easy way that you can help out our podcast reach others just like you who can benefit from it. Just rate and review the podcast or even share it through your social media. As you know, life as an entrepreneur is complicated enough. So let's share the love with others. And remember, you are always invited to join the marketing conversations we're having in my free Facebook group called Facebook Ads for Coaches, Course Creators, and Lifestyle Ecom Brands. To hop in with others trying to master the ad game and scale their business, go to www.facebook.com slash group slash FB Ad Ninja. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.